The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And am I correct in children? You can be dismissed to Children's Church. I want to make sure I made that announcement. Thank you so much, Harold and instrumentalist praise team and choir for leading us in worship this morning. Take your Bible in hand and come with me to the book of the Acts. Acts chapter 8 will be our passage of study this morning. As you're turning, uh, let me just make a few announcements that... Um, I want to make sure that you hear, first of all, tonight, as we gather at 530 for our covered dish meal, um, the church will not be providing a meat for the meal. I want to make sure you know that. So unless you're a vegetarian, we need some of you to go buy Bojangles and get a bow box when you head this way. Now, trust me, I'm a chicken eating preacher, so make me happy. And bring some fried chicken tonight as we gather. So that's one thing I need to share with you. Um, secondly, if you're a first-time guest in our service, again, you're just a very special person to us this morning. My wife, Charlene, and I would like to have a very uh, brief reception in your honor in our lobby. Uh, you'll see us with some light refreshments off to one side when the service is over. Would you be kind enough to stop by and just... Uh, introduce yourself, put a name and a face together for us so that we can thank you in person for being with us today. And then finally, uh, Emmanuel family, please remember today and next Sunday will be your final opportunities to cast your ballot in our deacon selection process. This is a very important part of the life uh, of Emmanuel Baptist Church. As you leave today, the welcome kiosk, uh, you'll find a ballot box that's there and some ballots uh, please take a moment and go ahead today so that you don't forget and cast your ballot uh, for our deacon selection process. The Lord has given us some wonderful men to select from, and we want to make sure that your preference after prayer is certainly recorded. And so do that today, uh, if you would. Now, aren't you glad you're a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church? You know, I, it's been a rough day, uh, excuse me, a rough week, um, for the Register family as we've ministered to members of our extended family as it relates to their church home. Uh, we, we have two very uh, special people in our lives, in my life, Charlene's life as a, as a couple, uh, who are members of different churches in different cities and different states. And in both situations, the church is under tremendous stress this morning. One has already experienced a forced resignation uh, of a pastor, and so that congregation is wrestling with all of the aftermath of that kind of pain and hurt. Uh, in, in the second situation, the pastor has already announced he'll be leaving in the next few weeks, and, and the church is just sorely divided. Um, and it just reminded me as I was driving to Emmanuel this morning how wonderful it is to be a part of a unified congregation. Amen? People who love one another's company, people who gather together for worship and it's family when we gather. And, and so I just want to remind you just how blessed you are 
to be part of a situation where while we're waiting on our next pastor that God will bring our way, we're waiting on our next worship leader that God will bring our way, there are so many things to be thankful for at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Unity and harmony and love for one another are just three that I want to mention. Don't ever take those for granted. Amen? Continue to work to build a lasting harmony among the family of God. Acts chapter 8 is where we're studying today. I'll invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll begin reading, you reading silently, and I read aloud, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. The Bible says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, he being Philip, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading from Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. Quote, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before his shear is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him. But he went his way rejoicing. Father, would you help us to look deep within this text today and as Baptists trace our heritage back to passages of Scripture like this one that help us understand this central belief of our faith, the biblical teaching of baptism. And Father, may we not simply come to an intellectual understanding today, but may we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're being seated this morning, I would remind you that we call ourselves Baptist because we are. Baptists believe many things, but it's what we believe about the ordinance of baptism that sets us apart from other evangelical faith groups. 
And so this morning, what I want us to do in this passage of Scripture is to not only understand what the Bible teaches about baptism, I want us to understand it so that we make sure that our practice of baptism is biblical and in accordance with the Scriptures. And so this morning, we look at a biblical understanding of baptism so that we can be biblical in our practice of baptism. So come with me to this text as we examine three aspects about baptism this morning. The very first aspect being what I call a mandatory prerequisite. There is something that must happen before a baptism can take place. It is a mandatory prerequisite. Look with me, if you will, beginning with verse 35 in this passage. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look water. Now here it is. Listen to the Ethiopian's question. What prevents me from being baptized? The word prevent that's used there, ladies and gentlemen, is a word that means to hinder, to stop. The Ethiopian eunuch understands in this verse of Scripture that, that there is something in his life that prevents him, it hinders him, it stops him from being baptized. What hinders me from being baptized? Isn't it interesting that the Ethiopian eunuch's question reveals his conviction that there was something missing in his life? Something was not there. There was a missing element that was required in order for him to be baptized. And so he says to Philip, what hinders me? What prevents me? What stops me? In essence, he's asking the question, what's missing in my life that prevents me from being baptized? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you study this passage in detail, looking at the life of the Ethiopian eunuch, it's a wonderful question that he asks because of who this man happens to be. First of all, we know this eunuch is a very influential man. Come back and look with me, verse 27 of this passage of Scripture. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, when you read that passage at first glance, you might think that Candace is the name of this particular queen. That's not the case. You see... Ethiopia was one of the largest countries of the known world in that day. If you know anything about the African continent, everything south of Egypt on the African continent in the day of the first century church was known as Ethiopia. It is a massive kingdom. In that kingdom, the king of Ethiopia was considered godlike. He was worshipped by his people. And so being involved in the affairs of state, ruling and leading the nation, was beneath the king. He was the God. Ruling the nation was a task given to the queen. The queen was the one who would determine whether the army went to battle. The queen was the one who would determine the taxation in the kingdom. And Candace was a title referenced to the queen much like we hear the word Pharaoh used in the Old Testament. The Pharaoh is not his name. The Pharaoh is his title. And so when we come to verse 27, we discover the Ethiopian eunuch 
is a court official of the queen of Ethiopia, one of the largest countries known to man in those days. And look how important he is in that kingdom. Verse 27. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He's the secretary of the treasury. This guy is so influential, he has charge over the entire treasury of the nation of Ethiopia, one of the largest nations known to man in the first century. He's an influential man. He speaks, people click their heels and obey his command. He speaks on behalf of the queen. He is in charge of all of the financial arrangements of the kingdom. He's extremely influential. Secondly, I want you to see that this is a moral man. Come back with me, verse 27. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch. The word eunuch helps us to understand an aspect of his morality. You know from studying the New Testament that the eunuchs are men who have undergone surgical procedures to make sure that the harem that they reign over is protected. And so the fact that he is a eunuch helps us to understand that when it comes to the sexual realm in his life, this gentleman is a moral man. I would also contend to you the fact that Candace has chosen him to be her treasurer indicates that he has a level of integrity, a level of honesty that she can trust. She can trust him to handle all of the financial affairs of her kingdom. So this is an influential man. It's a moral man. But even with all of his influence, even with all of his power, even with all of his morality, he understands, listen, there's something missing in his life. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, there's a third aspect I want you to see about this man. He's influential, he's moral, but I also want you to see that he's spiritual. Come back and look at verse 27. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Theologians tell us that the trip from the capital of Ethiopia in the first century to Jerusalem is about a 1,200-mile journey. For this man, going to Jerusalem to worship is so important that he's willing to travel 1,200 miles one way in order to worship. And let me show you how he traveled. Come with me, if you will. Verse 28. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. The word chariot there, if we're not careful, we think of a a mobile cart, if you will, with two wheels and it has horses that pull it down the road. That's what we think of when we hear the word chariot. But the word used here means a seat. He's sitting in his seat. And so the picture you should have in your mind, ladies and gentlemen, you've seen it in movies, you've seen it in television programs, you should be thinking in terms of a boxed seat that has at least four men who have the seat on poles and they're carrying this seat on their shoulders. There are two men in the front and two men in the back and obviously this boxed seat is large enough that he's able to invite Philip up into the seat with him later in this passage. So here's a man who is so spiritual, he's traveling 1,200 miles on the shoulders of four men 
in order to make his way to Jerusalem to worship. But look what else the text says. Come with me. Verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's been to Jerusalem. He's worshipped. He's now returning 1,200 miles home. And he's sitting there and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. Ladies and gentlemen, I contend to you that this eunuch is a spiritual man. He's influential, he's moral, he's spiritual, but he knows there's something missing in his life. There is still something that prevents him, stops him, hinders him from being baptized. So we come back to this text and we begin to wonder what it is that prevents him from being baptized. Well, Philip gives us an answer. He, he asked the question in, in verse 35. The Philip, uh, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, what prevents me from being baptized? He, he asked that question and now Philip answers that question. Look with me, verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Influential man, what prevents you from being baptized if you believe with all your heart? Moral man, what prevents you from being baptized if you believe with all your heart? Spiritual man who travels great distances to worship, who studies the Word of God on his own, what prevents you from being baptized if you believe with all your heart? Now, there's something I want you to see about that statement, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, I want you to see that small pronoun, you, if you believe with all your heart. Philip points out to the Ethiopian eunuch, there is a belief that he must possess. The eunuch himself must possess. This is not a belief that a parent can have for a child. This is not a belief that a child can have for a parent. This is not a belief that a religious man can somehow share with others, it is a belief that the eunuch himself must hold. And what is this belief that he must hold, as Philip says, with all of his heart? Believe what? Believe what with all of your heart? The eunuch must be asking the question, what is it that I must believe with all of my heart in order to meet the prerequisite, the mandatory prerequisite to being baptized? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the answer is found back in verse 35. Come back to verse 35. What does he have to believe? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The, preach, the word preach there means to proclaim good news. So when, when Philip says, you must believe with all of your heart, the answer to believe what? You must believe what Philip has been preaching about Jesus. Now I want to point something out to you. This word believe that Peter uses in verse 37, excuse me, Philip uses in verse 37, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, that word believe means to know more than intellectual knowledge. 
It means to believe something to the point that you're willing to put all of the weight of your life on that premise. Let me see if I can illustrate. How many of you drove to church this morning? Yeah, most of us. All of us, unless someone drove you. Well, perhaps you live where you had to get out on 440 or 40 in order to make it to church. When you got in your car this morning, you had some knowledge in your head. You had your knowledge that and your floorboard, there was one pedal that if you push it, it accelerates the car. And there's a second pedal that if you push it, it decelerates the car. It's called a brake. You might even have the knowledge that when you push the brake, that brake pedal begins to manipulate the brake pads and the brake pads begin to slow the wheel rotation. And so that brings the car as large as your car may be. That brings the car to us. You may have all of that knowledge by reading your owner's manual, by reading an article about cars and how brakes operate. You even have that knowledge because you've driven your car before and you know from past experience, every time I push this particular pedal, my car slows to a stop. But you believe in your brakes when that person in front of you cuts over into your lane and you have to hit that brake pedal very hard to bring your car to a rapid stop. It is in that moment that you, you press that brake hard as you can because you need to put the weight of your life on the premise that if I hit this brake, this car will stop and I will be safe. And you trust that premise with your life and you trust that premise with your spouse's life and you trust that premise with the life of your children. Do you understand what I'm saying about believe today? It's not just knowledge of facts. It is being willing to put the weight of your life on that premise. Let me give you another illustration. This is a chair. This chair looks like it will hold me. It it seems sturdy. It's made of wood. I've watched other people sit in this chair. I, I think, I'm pretty sure, matter of fact, I'm positive that if I sit in this chair, this chair will hold me. But I don't believe in this chair until I put all of my weight on it. And when I put the weight of my entire life in the seat of this chair, then I've believed. I've put the weight of my life. That's what Philip is saying. The Ethiopian eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip says, well, there's a belief. There is something that you must embrace so strongly that you're willing to put the weight of your life, the weight of your hopes, the weight of your dreams, the weight of your desires, the weight of your conduct. You must put the weight of your life on that concept. And what is it that he must believe? Back to verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him, proclaiming good news. Philip began to tell him about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Philip responds to this influential man, this moral man, this religious man. The thing that prevents you from being baptized, you have to put the weight of your life on the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Now, where have we heard this before? Keep your finger in Acts chapter 8. We'll be back there in just a moment. Come with me to John chapter 3. Perhaps Philip uses this word believe in responding to the Ethiopian eunuch because he's heard this word from the lips of Jesus himself. John chapter 3, verse 14. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Same word Philip is using in talking to the eunuch. Whoever believes, whoever puts the weight of their life in Jesus will have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in Jesus is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Why does Philip answer the Ethiopian eunuch by saying, there are some things you must put the weight of your life upon this premise. You must believe. Because he's heard it from Jesus already. And Jesus has said, if you believe in me, if you put the weight of your life in my hands, you have eternal life. But if you don't believe, if you don't put the weight of your life in my hands, if you do not trust me as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is saying, you have been judged already. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a prerequisite for baptism this morning. The prerequisite for baptism is not church membership. The prerequisite for baptism is not being an influential person. It's not being a moral person. It's not even being a spiritual person. The prerequisite for baptism this morning is you must place your life upon the premise of Jesus Christ and who he is, that he died on Calvary's cross for your sinfulness. He arose from the grave, and you must put your life upon the premise that he is your Lord and Savior. And when you meet that prerequisite, then and only then are you ready for baptism. So there's a mandatory prerequisite to baptism. The second thing I want you to see in this patch of Scripture is what I call a mandated progression. A mandated progression. There, there are steps that must happen in order for a baptism to be biblical. Step number one, look with me, verse 35. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Before you can be baptized, there, there must be a witness. Before you can be baptized, you must be exposed to this message you must believe. Before you're ready to be baptized, there must be the communication of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. You, you can't believe, you can't place the weight of your life upon the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels unless you've heard the message of Jesus in the Gospels. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why, don't miss this, that's why who's your one is so important in the life of Emmanuel Baptist Church. 
This passage tells us that for our one, we must be willing to communicate the life-changing message of the gospel before that person will ever be ready to believe and then be baptized. We have to communicate the gospel in writing. We have to communicate the gospel verbally. We have to communicate the gospel by inviting them uh, to be our, our neighbor and our friend who sits with us in worship. There must be a communication of the gospel. Step number one. Step number two. Come back to this text. I want you to see step number two is a personal decision. Look with me, verse 37. And he said, if you believe with all your heart. A personal decision. We've touched on this already this morning. I want to underline it. I want to highlight it. I want to put an exclamation point. A personal decision. Once the gospel has been shared, the gospel has been explained, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he was buried and rose again. If we ask him to forgive us, he will forgive us. If we surrender our life to him, he will give us life everlasting and abundant life on earth. Once that message has been communicated, there must be a personal decision made to believe on Jesus. A mother, as much as she loves her children, cannot make this decision for her child. A husband, as much as he loves his spouse, he cannot make this decision for her. It is a personal decision. In the Baptist faith, ladies and gentlemen, don't miss this. In the Baptist faith, it is also why we do not practice the baptism of infants. There must be a personal decision made. We believe that a person must be old enough to understand the message of Jesus and to make their own personal decision to place the weight of their life upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. An infant can't do that. A very small child cannot understand the intricacies of the gospel and give their life to Jesus. It's a personal decision that must be made. It's a decision you must make. It's a decision that you must come to the place after hearing this morning the message of Christ. He died on the cross for your sin. He arose from the grave victorious. You must decide, do I put the weight of my life on Jesus? A personal decision. Step number three. Come back to the text. Step number three is the actual act of baptism itself. Look with me, verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Now, what's happened before he orders the chariot to stop? Verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered and said, I believe. I make a personal decision. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was step number two. Now, step number three, verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. There must be a communication of the gospel, step one. There must be a personal decision to place your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, step number two. Then and only then does the progression make its way to the act of baptism. Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's why I want to point that out. I want you to listen carefully. Every church I've ever served as pastor, every church I've ever served as interim pastor, in a congregation this size, I know from personal experience there are people who have that progression out of order. Here's what I mean by that. 
I mean that there are some of you present this morning, some who are members of this church, that as a child or a teenager at the end of a preacher preaching one Sunday morning during a revival service perhaps, you came down the aisle and you spoke to the pastor and he prayed with you. And a few weeks later, you found yourself in the baptistry in a white robe perhaps, and he lowered you under the water and he lifted you out of the water. But you know in your heart, it was subsequent to that action that you truly gave your life to Christ. You, you look back, and, and I'm not saying that that spiritual activity, that religious activity as a child or teenager is not meaningful. God was using that to draw you unto himself. It was a meaningful act, but you know in your mind and heart, you really gave your life to Christ following that action as a child or a teenager. Here's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen. That religious act in your life was not biblical baptism. Biblical baptism begins with a communication of the gospel. It then is required that a personal decision to place your life and trust in Jesus be made. And following that personal commitment to Christ then biblical baptism takes place. So here's what I'm saying to you this morning. I'm saying this morning that, that if you're seated here at Emmanuel and you look back and, and you know that as a six, a seven, eight-year-old child, whatever the age, you came and you went through some religious steps that were very meaningful, but you know that you really gave your life to Christ later in life as a young adult as a middle-aged adult during the midst of a crisis, but you know you gave your life to Christ, you need to be biblically, scripturally baptized. You need to have the courage to say, I want to follow the biblically mandated progression, a communication of the gospel, placing my life in the hands of Jesus. Then I follow with believer's baptism. You need to be baptized. You need to be baptized biblically because it's commanded in Scripture. One last thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, and that is a modeled practice. Come with me, if you will, verse 38. A modeled practice. And he ordered the chair to stop. Don't miss this. And they both went down into the water. Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So here's the stain. They stop the chariot. They lower that seat off the shoulders of the men who are carrying it. Philip and the eunuch get out of the chariot. And the Bible says both the eunuch and Philip go down into the water. And Philip baptizes the eunuch. Here's what this passage of Scripture is saying, ladies and gentlemen. It's talking about the mode or the practice of baptism, the model of baptism. They both go down into the water so that Philip can sprinkle the Ethiopian eunuch? No. So Philip can pour water on the head of the Ethiopian eunuch? No. So that Philip can immerse under the water the Ethiopian eunuch. You say, Chuck, how can you be so dogmatic? Come back to the verse. Let me show you two words. Verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. The word baptized that's used there, ladies and gentlemen, is a word that literally means to immerse, to submerge, 
to place under. It's why we Baptists do not practice baptism by sprinkling. It's why we Baptists do not practice baptism by pouring water on the head. We believe, as the word indicates in its meaning, that biblical baptism is to take a person who has given their life to Christ and we put them completely under the water. Now, we don't hold them there. And we lift them right back up. Are we saying that sprinkling is not a, a meaningful religious experience? Absolutely not. Are we saying that pouring is not a meaningful religious observance? Absolutely not. We're just saying that if you look at the word in Scripture, that Scripture uses, baptize means to immerse. It means to submerge. It means to put someone all the way under the water. Now, where does that model come from? Where do we get such an example in Scripture. Come with me to Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel. When you get home today, uh, read, if you will, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three Gospel accounts record this story. But for the sake of time, we just look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him and a voice out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Where does Philip get this model for baptism? From the baptism of Jesus. The Bible says Jesus went out to the Jordan River and with John, they went down into the water. Jesus was baptized by John. He was immersed. He was plunged under the water by John. And when that observance was over, they both went up out of the water. We Baptists practice baptism by immersion because according to God's word, that is the model with which Jesus was baptized. And so to be as true to the baptism of Jesus as we can. His was in a river, ours is in a very clean, air-conditioned, warm environment. There's some radical differences, but to be as close to the baptism of Jesus we can, we practice immersion. See, when Jesus was baptized, ladies and gentlemen, placed under the water and brought out of the water, it was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen in Jesus' life. The cross was on the horizon. Jesus was going to die on the cross. What do you do with a person who's deceased? You bury them. When Jesus was lowered under the water by John, it was symbolic of the fact that he was going to die and he would be buried, if you will, as he's placed under the water. But what happened on that first Easter morn, three days after the crucifixion of Jesus? Oh, the precious resurrection of our Lord. And so Jesus is lifted out of the water because it is, it is symbolic of the resurrection of Christ. And that's the beautiful picture in our baptism in the Baptist faith. 
You come to faith in Christ. You put the weight of your life on Jesus. You decide to surrender your life and to give him control of your life. We're going to take that old person who did not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we're going to bury them because they no longer exist. But in a twinkling of an eye, we're going to lift up. We're going to resurrect a new you who has given his or her life to Jesus because it is that person we will watch live before us the rest of their life. So this morning we look at this thing called baptism in the Baptist faith. There's a prerequisite. You must personally decide to give your life to Jesus. There's a natural progression. The gospel is communicated. That decision is made. Then and only then, biblical baptism follows. And there's a model. Lowering under the water, and raising to walk in the newness of life, just like Jesus in the River Jordan. Immersed and lifted, just like Jesus at Calvary. Crucified, buried, and resurrected. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, my friend, and you've never put the full weight of your life on Jesus Christ, today we invite you to come to Christ. We invite you to come and surrender your life to him, to put the full weight of your life in his hands. To ask him to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you, to be the Lord of your life, to be your king, to be your savior. Would you be willing to come in a moment? As, as we'll be standing to sing, I'll be waiting to receive you. Would you be willing to come and say, Chuck, today I want to put the full weight of my life in the hands of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know your baptism was out of the biblical order. You were baptized before you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you be willing to come and say, Chuck, in my life, I want to get things in the right biblical order. I love Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus, but I now need to follow him in baptism. Friend, we would rejoice with you in that biblical order, and we would celebrate your baptism in the days to come. Would you be willing to make that decision? Maybe you're here, your church membership is somewhere else, but God is just drawing you to this warm Emmanuel family. You know Christ, you've been baptized by immersion, you just want to be a part of this great church family. Would you come? Oh, we would celebrate your coming. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to your children, that your children would hear your voice and respond to your leadership, and that, Father, today that some would come to faith in Christ for the very first time and put the weight of their life like the eunuch in the hands of Jesus. I pray that others would come to put their baptism in the proper biblical order as an act of obedience unto you. I pray that others would come and unite with this, your church family at Emmanuel. And I pray all of that to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, as we sing, you come as God leads you. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.